history, this church hadn't met for a quarter of the year. This building empty and silent, COVID keeping us apart, forcing us apart in our respective homes and watching services online and all of that. And even now, it continues to keep people away. And we can think of all kinds of faces that are, are not in this room with us today. There, there are some faces that we haven't seen since March 15th in this building. It's unbelievable. Others have started coming back to church, and then for a variety of reasons, they've decided rather painfully uh, to not come anymore and to stay home because things are spiking, because their health was getting worse for various reasons. And then on, on top of all of that, in 2020, it seems like we've been afflicted by especially acute challenges, emotional troubles and relational troubles and financial troubles and physical troubles and spiritual troubles. And like I mentioned this morning, I'm Right now, Judy Breeze is in hospice with who knows how many days left. There are a few others of our members right now struggling through COVID. So I would say that 2020 was not the year that many of us were hoping for, any of us were hoping for. I think that this Christmas season was probably not what many were hoping for. And painful as all of this has been, as all of 2020 has been, and all the unexpected things that that has brought into our worlds, I think it all reminds us of where our hope really lies. Not in the things that we were expecting. Not in our health. Not even in each other. It's not where our hope comes from. It's an, it's an altogether different source. And this time of turmoil that we've been walking through reminds us of that. That's what this Advent series has been about. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, our only hope, Jesus Christ and Him alone. We have nowhere else to go. Who else has the words of life? It's Him, Him alone. And that's just more clear when our troubles expose what our hopes are truly lying in. So today, in this final sermon in the Advent series, I want to focus in on exactly how great our hope is. What a great hope we have. Not just a hope for some distant point in eternity, but a hope for today, a hope for this very moment as we sit in our seats, a hope for right now that can come to us right now. It's the hope that Christ would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. For indeed, He is the great baptizer. And we have now read that a few times in our passage that we're focusing on for Advent. And these three things I want to happen today as we look at this passage one final time. I want to show you the contrast that exists between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. John setting up this contrast. Then I want to talk about what does it mean that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit? What is that? And then I want to talk about four effects of what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in all of these things, as we talk about all of these things, really the ultimate purpose is that we would want Jesus, more Jesus, love him more deeply, treasure him more profoundly. 
So before we read this passage, we need His Spirit to be at work. Let's pray for that. O Christ, our Savior, our Lamb, who takes away our sins, would you baptize us this morning with the power of your Holy Spirit that we might be able to hear these words with our hearts. Allow them to penetrate our lives and change the way that we live, the way that we think, the the places that we get our joy from. Oh, Father, would you do these things in us this morning? Would you, by the power of your Spirit, use my words to proclaim truth? And would each one of us just absolutely be riveted by the truth that we read about and hear about this morning? I pray that you would do these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're looking at John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. If you could follow along with me as I read, as I read from the ESV. John 1, 29. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Those are amazing words that John the Baptist proclaims. And in this proclamation of John, and as I had said last week, John is announcing these six incredible realities about this stranger in their midst. The first is that the Messiah is truly a man and in their midst, walking among them. The second is that the Messiah is perfectly holy. Third, the Messiah is here to make people holy. Fourth, the Messiah is eternal. Fifth, the Messiah gives the Holy Spirit. This is what we will be focusing on today. And six, the Messiah is the Son of God. Incredible, incredible realities. And all those six things, as I, as I said on Christmas Eve, there's only one purpose that's listed. One purpose for which the Messiah has come, and that was to be the Lamb of God, born to be slain, born to die for our sins, to be a substitute for us, that we need not face the wrath of God. But by believing in him and his sacrifice, the wrath of God would be removed from us and our sins would be forgiven. That is the purpose for which the Messiah had come. The climax of all that John the Baptist declares in what we've just read. And that was our focus at the candlelight service. But today we're focusing on that announcement that John makes about Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I said that this is not a purpose, although it was a purpose of the Messiah to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. But as John speaks about it, John the Baptist, he's not listing it as a purpose. He's listing it to highlight the fact that Jesus is God, for only God can give the Holy Spirit. So, so John is more identifying Jesus as God, man, who gives the Holy Spirit. And I read some scriptures from the Old Testament that highlight this reality. I want to read one more, or, or read one for you again, Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour out water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That's God who is speaking. Only God gives the Holy Spirit, and he's promising that he will do it on the dry ground. And where there was a desert, there will now be rivers. Only God can give the Holy Spirit, and that's why John the Baptist is declaring this, that Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. But John the Baptist is also setting up this great contrast, and I think that we see it most clearly in verses 33 through 34. John the Baptist is speaking. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. (laughs) All John can do is dung people in water and get them wet. John can preach the word of God. He can point others to Jesus. But at the end of the day, John can't do anything about anybody's heart. He can't change a heart. There's no power there. Just the power to drench one at a time in the Jordan River. But the Messiah... The Son of God who has come, he has a power far beyond John's, a divine power that changes people's hearts forever, that takes a dead, stony heart and brings it to life, spiritual life. So John is setting up this contrast that's shouting, Jesus is infinitely more superior than me. I immerse in water. He immerses in God. That's the difference between an acorn and a vast forest, or a sneeze and a hurricane. The the, the magnitude of difference is unspeakable, infinite. And from this point on in the gospel, all the gospels, John the Baptist almost entirely disappears. His acorn is lost in the vast wilderness that is Jesus Christ. As John himself says in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. It's exactly what happens. The fact that Jesus baptizes baptizes with the Holy Spirit is what sets him so far apart from John's preparatory ministry. And so it's only right for the the spotlight that is John to be eclipsed by the supernova that is the Messiah who has come. 
And so we need to ask now, what exactly is this thing that Jesus has come to do, baptizing in the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Why is it so much greater? This is certainly a controversial topic. Baptism, the Holy Spirit. And people have all kinds of ideas about what that means. I have lots of ideas about what that means. Even biblical writers talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in different ways. So Luke talks about this in particular ways as he writes the book of Acts. When Paul talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, he talks about it in another kind of way. And that's okay. Because that's the way that language works. Because when I say conservative, in a political sense, that means one thing. If I say conservative in a theological sense, that's another thing. If I say conservative in economic sense, that's a different thing. That's how language works. So what we want to do is look at John and his writings to see what he means by baptism of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus baptizing in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to stick to John's writings to let him interpret his own words rather than us bringing our beliefs upon it. So we're not going to be hopping around the New Testament. We're going to focus in on John the Apostle as he writes this gospel. So first, let's remember what John the Baptist testified about Jesus earlier on in our passage, that the Spirit of God, proceeding from God the Father descends upon Jesus and remains on him. So the Spirit of God comes from God the Father and lands on God the Son, and then it remains on him. So in a very real sense, the Holy Spirit is affixing himself to Jesus. And there he is to stay. So the, the Spirit is not removed from Jesus at any point. The Spirit was not removed from Jesus at the cross. The Spirit is not now removed from Jesus, even though Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit remains on Jesus. So the first thing that this means is that if we want the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have to go to Jesus, the great baptizer, Go to Jesus to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. John 15, verse 26. 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Isn't that the Trinity on display right there in that verse? Also, the Spirit is a he. A person. And Jesus is the mediator of this divine person. It says right here that Jesus will send the Spirit to us. You want the Holy Spirit then? Don't go to the Father. Don't even go to the Holy Spirit. Go to Jesus. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And here we must take a brief moment to realize that the, the Holy Spirit is the most self-effacing person of the Trinity. He is always moving into the background. It's as if the Spirit wants to decrease, and he wants Jesus to increase. When he works, it is for the glory of Christ. 
So if he is going to do anything at all, if the Holy Spirit is going to do anything at all, it's so that we love Jesus more. It's so that we look like Jesus more. It's so that we see the truth of Jesus more clearly. So that Christ is glorious in our eyes. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So if we want the Holy Spirit, we must go to Jesus. The second thing that Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit means is that, profoundly, Jesus immerses people in the Holy Spirit. That might seem rather obvious, for that's the same thing as saying Jesus baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. But to be immersed in something means that it affects everything about you. Think now of being immersed in water. You're under the water. If you breathe, that water will fill your lungs. If you try to move, you'll feel the resistance of that water. This water has a powerful and profound effect on everything in your life. Everything. Jesus does that for you with the Holy Spirit. He plunges you into God the Spirit. And now everything that you are is shaped by this Spirit. It's his breath in our lungs. It's his heart beating within our chest. It's his wise and pure mind invading our own. We live and move and have our being in the Spirit. And all of this, because when we come to Jesus, he plunges us into this ocean that is God the Spirit. John 3.34 says, Jesus, whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He gives the Spirit without measure. So Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit means that Jesus immerses people without measure in the Holy Spirit. The third thing that this means, Jesus baptizing in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's supernatural power is now flowing in you and through you. And right here, I think, is where we could very easily get sidetracked and wander off into a debate that has split churches and created denominations. Is this, what's being talked about, is this referencing a point of salvation? Is this referencing a second blessing that somebody might receive that might manifest in speaking in tongues? Now, don't get me wrong, those are all important questions that I think we should answer. We should wrestle with those things. I think that they are important questions to answer. But we're not going to answer them today because that's not what John is talking about. We want to go to John and see what he is telling us. How does he interpret this phrase, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to give you the very brief version, and then we're going to get deeper. In short, John means that everything that, is, that the Spirit does in a person's life is part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everything that the Spirit does in a person's life is part of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. From salvation to sanctification to glorification, this is what it means, according to John, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in a moment, that could appear quite ordinary. And at other times, it could be 
absolutely extraordinary. But regardless, on the final day, it will all be revealed, all the Spirit's work will be revealed as Christ-exalting, undeserved, supernatural working of His Spirit. So now, let's unfold what this looks like in our lives a little bit, going to John for effects of the Holy Spirit on us in our lives. And John talks about baptizing in the Holy Spirit. That means the things that the Spirit is doing in the life of a believer. As we go through John, he begins to unfold this. He comes back to it, showing us what this means. First, the Spirit gives life. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are unable to please God. We are unable to think of the things of God. We are unable to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are unable because we are dead. And that's what God means when he says that we are dead. But Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John six sixty three. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So the Holy Spirit enters our grave, and he says, Awake! And the moment we open our eyes, he shows us the face of Jesus Christ. And from that moment forward, we are lovers of Jesus Christ, followers of our Savior. We are spiritual people now living. The second thing that the Spirit does is make us overflow with life. So we need the Spirit to live And we need the Spirit to cause us to live every moment. We had not been called out of the grave so that we can live in mediocrity, so that we can languish, so that we can be lukewarm. But I think that we all know, even those who've been born again, what it is to languish. I know what it is to languish, to languish in my sins, to languish in my fears or anxieties or sorrows. We languish. And so we need to be taken and plunged once more into the Holy Spirit. We need His love to fill our hearts. We need His joy to flood every moment. We need His peace to surpass our circumstances. We need His patience to overcome our intolerance. His kindness to drown our indifference. His goodness to destroy our selfishness. His faithfulness to correct our waywardness. His gentleness to soften our judgments. And His self-control to master our desires. These are the things of life that we so desperately need. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But he's not just in the business of taking. When he takes, he gives. And he gives the Holy Spirit. He fills to such a degree that this languishing dry ground is flooded with rivers of living water. And so he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. You know, we never stop being needy. We are a needy people. We are desire factories. But then the Spirit is given and poured into us, filling us, overwhelming us, pouring out of us, flooding those all around us. You know what that means? No longer are we just life takers. Now we are life givers. The Holy Spirit makes us overflow with life. And you know this to be true. Spirit-filled people are different people. There's life there. And whoever is born again is a spirit-filled person. And now out of your heart should be flowing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all of these fruits flowing out of you that people see They see your circumstances and they wonder, how can this person have such peace, have such joy, have such love? You name it. It's beautiful and attractive and so rare. That is an abundance of life. And people want it. They're thirsty for it. But let's say that that Holy Spirit waterfall is turned off. And then what does that mean for you? Suddenly there you are, you'd be languishing without the Holy Spirit continually pouring into you. The overflow would stop. Now I have no idea how Jesus decides how much of the Holy Spirit to give and at which moments to give it, in what measure. I don't know, I don't think it's for any of us to know. But I do know that I can quench the Spirit. And I do know that I've been told to ask for the good gift of the Spirit. The Father loves to give good gifts. You know what that means then? Every day, maybe even every moment, we need to go to Jesus and ask for a drink. And he promises then not to just give us a cup, but a river, rivers of living water. We are thirsty people, and that's good. Let's go to him to get drink. The third effect of this baptism of the Holy Spirit on our lives is that the Spirit causes us to love Jesus. Look again at John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Spirit is alive in you, bringing you to life, giving you abundant life, an overflow of life. And the primary way that he is doing this is by filling your heart with joy for Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is this divine person inside of you that's constantly speaking to you about Jesus, showing you who Jesus is, reminding you of the work that Christ has accomplished. 
showing you the things that, that please Jesus and perhaps the things that don't please Jesus. Day in and day out, there's the Holy Spirit bearing witness about Jesus. You have this internal witness called the Holy Spirit witnessing about our Savior. Therefore, if Jesus is desirable to you, if you treasure him, if you treasure him above all the things of this world, then you know that the Holy Spirit is alive in you and working, bringing life where there was once death. And if you know that you are doing things that displease Christ, or if you are languishing and you want more, then you know that the Holy Spirit is alive in you and working. You don't have those desires without the Holy Spirit. If you love Jesus, if you want more Jesus, that's the Spirit in you, alive, flooding you, working. The fourth thing that this baptism of the Holy Spirit means is that the Spirit gives you wisdom. There are two paths in life, what is true and what is false, what is life and what is death, what is light and what is darkness, what is wisdom and what is foolishness, two paths. And we just read that the Spirit is called the Spirit of truth, the one who brings life. Advent interrupted our series on the book of Proverbs, and so I think that this is an especially pertinent point to end on. We receive wisdom through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John 16, 12 through 15. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Hmm. Those, those are crazy words. All that the Father has are Christ's. And all that is Christ's are being declared to you by the Holy Spirit. And he is guiding you in all truth. The Spirit reveals truth. So in Proverbs, we learned that, that Jesus is the fountainhead of all wisdom. All wisdom points to him and comes from him, is sourced in him. And here's the Holy Spirit coming from Jesus, telling us the things that Jesus says. All wisdom coming from Jesus by the Holy Spirit into us or they're available to us. <laughs> this is radical and amazing. The Spirit shows us all that is Christ's, which is all that is the Father's, and now is being given to us. Now, one way that the Spirit is doing this, making us wiser, is by sharpening our, our conscience. So we can better discern what is right and wrong. Our sins grieve us more, and any glimmer of righteousness that comes out of these hearts is now something we feel grateful for. We are glad of, for that is 
evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit. Now we can better look through time and see the effects of our actions, whether they're fleshly or spiritual. And that's discernment. That's wisdom. So the Holy Spirit is pouring wisdom of Christ into our hearts. For a heart is wise when it loves Jesus. A heart is wise when it knows where true abundance is found. A heart is wise when it's been taken out of darkness and placed in the light. Jesus is the great baptizer. He is the one who takes sinners like us and he forgives us of all of our sins and then he plunges us into the life-giving, abundance-flooding, wisdom-saturating, Christ-exalting Spirit of God. That is the reason that John the Baptist declares that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. And all who are baptized will see the greatness of the one who takes them and immerses them in the Spirit. In fact, the entirety of John's testimony, even the entirety of this, the testimony of this, is showing that all things on earth are from Christ and for Christ, even the Holy Spirit. So that means that God wants us, all of us and every part of us, to be 100% devoted to Christ. This is why He gives the Holy Spirit This is the work that the Holy Spirit loves to do. And this is why we need a fresh outpouring, a deeper plunging into this baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need more of it. Nobody has had enough of it. I mean, ask yourself, is your life glorifying Jesus to the greatest potential? Do you love Jesus with all that you are? Heart, soul, mind, and strength? Does your heart burst with joy in Christ and what he has done for you? Has sin been eradicated by worship in your life? And if you cannot answer yes to every single one of those questions, just like I am not able to answer yes to any of those questions, then you need the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus to plunge you into that water. Christ needs to take us to this river and plunge us into the flood of this living water. Why don't we ask him to do this now? Oh, Christ. Christ, you have come with such perfection, with such abundance and righteousness and humility, and you went to the cross so that we could be forgiven. Oh, I, 
We praise you for that truth and that reality and marvel at the fact that you would take such offensive, sinful creatures like us and make us righteous. And we know that you do this, make us righteous by giving us your Holy Spirit, by flooding us with desire for you, a desire so great for you that it washes away all of our sinful desires and all that's left is you. But we're forgetful and distracted and still sinful. Jesus, would you take us again and plunge us into the depths of your Holy Spirit? Flood our lives with this spiritual abundance that we might know greater measures of joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and self-control and gentleness and goodness. And all these things, God, do them in us. More. We want more. And I pray that we wouldn't be content until we get it. We are so desperate, so needy for you. Wash us, flood us, overflow us with your Holy Spirit. Give us this living water. We're thirsty. Jesus, we, we come to you. Thank you. Amen.